doing the same as everything else is pretty, pretty boring. And I believe whatever's normal, do the exact opposite. What would be impossible? What could we do things that other teams are ne- or would never even think of doing? This is Going Boldly, the podcast. Here's your host, Russ, the big guy. Hey, it is me. It's Russ, the big guy. And we have another exciting episode of Going Boldly, the podcast. And uh, we are up here in the penthouse suite, high above Washington Avenue in Endicott, New York. We're having a great time. Also in the studio today is Brenna, my sometimes co-host and full-time daughter. And... Howdy. We've already started our discussion with our guests today, and we should have hit record a little earlier because we have so much good stuff going on already. Um, it's my privilege to welcome Jesse Cole. Hey, Jesse, are you there? Russ, I am excited to be with you, my friend. Awesome. Listen, I want everybody, all of our listeners to know Jesse Cole is going boldly. So listen to this, guys. He's the owner of Savannah Bananas baseball team. He is the author of Find Your Yellow Tux. He's the host of Business Done Differently. It's a podcast. It's not your typical business show, as he just, as he would describe it. And I'm going to find out more about that because I like that idea. On LinkedIn, you can find his one-minute boost. His sign-off is stop standing still, start standing out. I love it. And uh, he's the man with the yellow tuxedo, and he stands out wherever he goes. Jesse, how's it going? <laughs> it is fantastic. I think you uh, you nailed the intro, my friend. So oh, glad good. to be with you. And and you know we're both we both rock top hats from time to time. So yes. I think uh, I think this is perfect. Well, listen, I imagine I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you a question that you may get a, you may have gotten tired of answering this question. But where in the heck does one find a yellow tuxedo? <laughs> it wasn't easy. I, I'll try to answer the question behind the question. But for, first, you know, I, I got the yellow tuxedo from brightcoloredtuxedos.com. I think I actually bought the really? first one for. $44. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I own seven of them. I actually proposed to my wife in the yellow tuxedo in front of a sold out crowd. She actually said yes, and we're still married. So I'm sticking wow. to it. it it's, uh, it's my uniform. And more than anything, yeah, it's, you know, one of my biggest mentors is P.T. Barnum. And, uh, yeah. you know, I believe what we do, we're not in the baseball business, we're in the entertainment business. And uh, I might as well be dressed as a showman because that's who I am. And that's what I'm trying to do. So giving our team permission to have fun. So I wear this yellow tuxedo all the time. And it means I'm always on stage and you know, always ready to have fun. Oh, that's amazing. I, um, I'm not brave enough to walk around in a yellow tuxedo. <laughs> I got to say, I put myself out there. I make a fool of myself quite a bit, and uh, but I but I haven't done the yellow tuxedo, or, or um, uh, not to that degree at least. So uh, let's see. I know you and I do have a lot in common, though. Other than that, and I, you don't know this because you don't know me. But I've watched so much of your content. I feel like I feel like you're <laughs> one of my neighbors. Like you're, like, and that, that's what it's all about. I think that you're doing it wonderfully because you are you're producing content that's super helpful to entrepreneurs, to business owners, even to just people in general who want to have a better life. You're um, relatable and people recognize you and uh, they feel like you're a a friend. (laughs) Well, thank you. That means a lot. I mean, I think the reality, a lot of us, we're just trying to scratch our own itch. I think what I tried to create with our baseball team and make it more of a circus and more fun was I was bored with baseball and I wanted to make it a better experience. So I just try to create something I would like. And with all the content I share, it's, you know, I started as a 23 year old, uh, taking over a team that was failing in Gastonia, North Carolina with only $268 in the bank account and only 200 fans coming to the games. And I needed to learn fast. 
And there wasn't many people in the industry uh, sharing uh, about how they were successful. So, you know, I started reading about P.T. Barnum and Walt Disney and every yeah. book I get my hands on. And so now I think, you know, might as well share everything I'm learning and, and as we're going. And I'm glad that it's added value to people's lives. Yeah, I think you're really, them. yeah, definitely. I think you're very generous with that. And I can definitely identify with what you just said about not having any place to learn it. A lot of it. You had to figure out on your own, or go to some of those people as mentors, even though they, you know, were, were long ago had passed away. Um, when I was younger, I started a graphic uh, design business, I guess, as a teenager. And one of the first things that I did, this was way back before computers, before home computers, at least, I had to teach myself how to letter a sign with a brush. And, mm. uh, you know, that was a trade and only, there were only these old, you know, I perceived them as old at the time, <laughs> probably a lot younger than I am now, but, um, these old people, I perceived as these old people that were doing it. And there, that was the only place to learn. You couldn't go on YouTube and, you know, yeah. find out how to do it or, um, and there, there wasn't like a sign business, a sign company on every corner, right? This was a little bit of a different type of specialty. So, I had to find a couple of people who would teach me a little bit and mostly they didn't really want to share. So I had to really kind of like learn trial and error. What, See, I, I, think, I think everybody <laughs> should tell everything. I think you should share everything. I yeah. think it should be a complete open book, not yeah. only to people out in public, but to your own staff, your team. I mean, the more we share, the more we can learn and the more you actually feel together and bond, you know, uh, bonded to something. And I think that's so key. And I, yeah. I so I, I just believe, uh, I think there's a lot of public professional speakers out there that won't share their stuff. Well, that's my speech. I don't want to give it away. Yeah. I go, People, what they're buying is they're buying. They want to get the access to you, the closer to you. It's it's they can get information anywhere. Don't don't you know? I think uh, yes. it's the age now of give information away for free as much as you can, and the more that you can custom and create a better experience is where you increase your value. But give it all away for free. I think that we need to be at a generous person. We need to be in a generous world where uh, that's the mindset: give, give, give without asking for anything in return. And I believe that's how you win. And I've been fortunate; I've had so many people give so much knowledge and uh, uh, ideas ideas and wisdom to me over the last, you know, 15, 20 years in the industry that I'm so fortunate. So, you know, just give it back. And I think that's what you're doing, which is, yeah, is amazing. To, yeah. Best, best leaders do. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, yeah. The, well, the law of reciprocity uh, holds true. And beyond that, even, I, I think that um, it's the right thing to do is to share and to help and to serve people and not necessarily because you know, you'll get something in return or that you know eventually, you know, things will come back to you. It's really just the right mindset is to be able to be a servant. And actually, that's my word for the year. I don't know, have you ever heard of the concept of like picking a word for your year? 1,000%. It, it helped change my life. That was... Uh, what was your word? What was no, it? The first, the first word I ever did was uh, 2016. I chose the word uh, care. And what I decided with that, I said, I need to hold myself accountable. So yeah. I decided to write a thank you letter every single day. And I bought 500 custom yellow thank you letters. And I started writing to old coaches, teachers, authors, people in my life. And it, I, the stories from that, it changed my life more than anything at ever. And I've now written over 2000 thank you letters. I write one every morning before I start my day. And, uh, that all happened because of the one word, the influence of that. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Um, I chose servant. Uh, so as opposed yeah. to service, I servant reminding me to be the servant. And yes. to do it with, uh, do it humbly, um, do it powerfully. Um, mm. Yeah, this is the first year that I've actually picked a word and 
and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> so, uh, hey, you know, I, I wanted to mention that we have actually have a lot in common. I love Walt Disney and the idea of, uh, well, a lot of his ideas, they're were groundbreaking at the time and even some still are and his saying that you identified with i also do it's kind of fun to do the impossible and i think that's amazing you I, all, I couldn't agree yeah i couldn't agree more. i you, mean yeah i mean it, you know doing the same as everything else is pretty pretty boring and i believe whatever's normal do the exact opposite and i think when you look at just doing a little bit better or the way things have already done that doesn't drive the real purpose and passion and so when yeah. i got into the baseball industry i said you know what would be impossible what could we do things that other teams are ne- or would never even think of doing and that's what gives us even reignited purpose for our team to do things that just don't make sense. And especially over the last year in the pandemic, the things that we've done, people would say we're crazy, but that's fun. And Walt Disney always visioned the impossible. And I've read every book on him. The Imagineering story on Disney is so fascinating. They try to invent, constantly invent new things. And it wasn't just for them. It was for their customers, their guests, their fans. And I think you know that's where true invention and the impossible comes when you put your mindset on someone else. How do you create the impossible for someone else? A memory, a moment, an experience that they never have anywhere else. And that's what fires me up more than anything. And you're right. I've got it on a custom poster. I'm looking at it right now in my office. Yeah. Well, I, and I love the energy that you have when you talk about it. You can tell it means a lot to you. I try to do little things also as I can, and um, you actually inspired me. I hope that you got the candy I sent you. You should have banana runts there somewhere. Should, it was supposed ah, to be delivered. Yes. It was supposed to be delivered today, and I thought, well, we could have a snack together while we're talking. I'm, and I'm wondering <laughs> if anybody ever did that before. I thought, well, what can I do that might be different? I don't. I don't want this like to be it. the. I don't want this to be the same old interview. You know. I like it. Banana runts is definitely. The style. So I'm guessing uh, I, you sent it to the stadium. Is that correct? Yeah, it could be. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so yeah. So I, I am not at the stadium at my home <laughs> office. Um, but uh, I, I will. I arrive on Thursday, and I will have runs in your honor. Okay. Um, it was a good try, anyway. So that's good. Well, no, it's it's nice. You know, instead of thinking about gifts, like you know, most most companies, most people will send things with their own logo on it, and it's about. I know. Yeah, it wasn't. Customer. It wasn't about me. It was about you. And that's what's really unique. And I, I mean, I've been sent three, you know, mini yellow tuxedos for my son, uh, no Maverick. Um, been sent like, you know, someone sent me a, an autograph from P.T. Barnum from the 1800s. Wow. And and it's like, you know, those things, they really put the time and the effort to. And I, I'm not saying I need any gifts, but if you're really trying to make an impression, yeah. you know, think this is what everyone else does and do the exact opposite. No one needs another Christmas card. There's yeah. so many Christmas cards out there. You know, we do, my wife taught me this. We started doing, we started doing six month birthday cards. Yeah. You know, everyone gets a birthday card, do a six month birthday card. What are other holidays you can make for people, for your Love fans, it. for your customers? Develop that. Those stand out. Banana runs stands out. So thank you for that. And I will definitely enjoy it in your honor. <laughs> That's good. I'm glad. <laughs> I thought, well, he's probably, he's probably tired of uh, banana puns and banana related things. Ne- but, never, never, but, uh, never tired of that, my friend. But uh, most guys like to eat. So I thought, oh, this would be a safe bet. So one of the other things we have in common is turning potential obstacles into opportunities to excel. That's the way I describe it, opportunities to excel. And I know that you had talked a little bit about that in terms of your fans, creating rabid fans and, uh, you know, taking opportunities where something might go wrong or you had a promotion that flopped in the short run, but then you turned it into something bigger. Maybe you got press on it or what have you. So I really like that. You had mentioned, uh, I know you've said this in other interviews and, and, uh, um, you, you might want to use this as an example, or maybe you have something else in mind, but I know you did a, 
I think you did a Thanksgiving dinner that maybe didn't go so well. <laughs> if you looked at all the list of things that we didn't go go well, uh, yes, this would be a long interview. But yes, that was fantastic. <laughs> okay. Um, but, but, but to put it in a nutshell, I mean, what we're trying to do and what I realized when I was sitting in a dugout uh, during college and I was in the Cape Cod League coaching and I literally was sitting in the dugout with the best players in the country in the best seat and I was bored out of my mind. And I realized that that was a serious friction point. Um, yeah. While some people say, oh, baseball, it's a fun game. To many, it's long, slow, and boring, and it's not getting any faster. Yeah, it's bo- I find it very boring. A hundred percent. And that's the majority of people. And so we were taking over a team at a low, low level, the Gastonia Grizzlies. And by first day, only $268 in the bank account and 200 fans coming to the games. And I realized that, you know, we couldn't be in the baseball business. We had to be about entertainment. And so I started with literally looking at that friction point. And I said, well, what can we do to make people stop thinking that it's just a typical baseball game? And so that became a series of asking different questions. And the questions we started asking, well, what what can we say? Because people still say it's baseball, it's baseball. And I said, well, what can we do that no one else is doing that's more entertainment? And we said, well, baseball players normally play the game. What if our players did choreographed dances every night? And there's a lot of failure stories with that, especially trying to teach college <laughs> baseball players how to dance. I remember the first practice, I brought a dance instructor and, uh, to teach the guys how to dance. The players were like, I'm not going to do this. And yeah. A few of them danced and then they tried. And then the next night they got a little better. And by the third night, I'm walking through the crowd and a husband and wife are talking and the husband's talking to the wife and the wife goes, shut up, honey. They're about to dance. I and I was it. like, all right. I was like, we got something. And so I, I realized that from that point that we had to make it about entertainment. And so, yeah, we did things like like pregnant night, like you and your future kid get uh, get in for free, a two for one. And we had a craving station and you throw the people in their third trimester throughout the first pitch. That was, <laughs> was a low attended game. You know, we did flatulence fun night where we actually had a whoopee cushion giveaway uh, and had a, had a farting contest and on the field and a bean burrito eating contest that did not was not well attended. Well, I yeah. can't I can't understand why that didn't work. Though I think the the uh, that would have been one of my favorites with whoopee cushions. We did a lot of them. We kept trying, <laughs> and you know, I mean, from dig to China night, where after the game we had uh. all the fans on the field to dig on the field for a trip to China. We put it. We buried a certificate for a trip to China, and when the woman dug and she finally she found it. She pulled it out and she realized it was a one-way flight to China. No flight back and no accommodation. <laughs> we were getting her to China. She didn't like that that much. So we ended up getting her a cruise instead. But oh anyways, we've been, but what happened is, Russ, people started leaving our game saying, you never know what to expect at yeah. a game or you wouldn't believe what's happening. And we built that. And so a lot of those things failed, but they turned out to be great stories to show, you know what, we're not just about the baseball. So the, we've been pushing the envelope with that, with the breakdancing first base coach and our senior citizen dance team called the Banana Nanas and our male cheerleading team called the Mananas that are now referred to as the Dad Bod <laughs> Cheerleading Squad. We test things all the time. I mean, yeah. literally, we used to we bring people down on the field uh, and uh, a gentleman and his and his son and we put him in a priest costume and the kid in a actual bright yellow sun costume and we'd have a father son catch and people would be like <laughs> what is happening right now and so to give you an example the fans giving game we decided that we were going to do honor the fans and also honor the pilgrims so right. we were going to have for the fan, fans giving game which is a game in november which doesn't make any sense we people don't even know who was playing we said the bananas are playing we'll figure out who to get players because it wasn't in the middle of our season and we announced the game and we said we're also uh we're going to starve the fans for the first 66 minutes in honor of the 66 day journey that the pilgrims made and fans still bought tickets so they bought tickets and sold out <laughs> social distancing and then we had rations while they were coming in we were throwing out bread and candy corn because you know candy corn was so big during the pilgrims time yeah <laughs> and so we were literally throwing that out 
Yeah, it was it was a yeah, staple. Get yeah, get your Hezekiah, get your candy corn. Um, no, that never happened. But uh, we were doing rations and we're having gravy slip and slides and having fun, but we we're gonna have a big feast after the 66 minute. Yet we weren't mentally prepared or as prepared as we should have been because the 1,500 people that are socially distanced, sold out crowds sprinted to the concession stands and we were overwhelmed and we couldn't serve them. And it was kind of a disaster. One fan on Facebook said this was an absolute cluster. Yeah. <laughs> and so, uh, but again, people still came out and they gave us the benefit of the doubt because they know we are trying new things to try to create a more fun, more unique experience that they can't have everywhere else. And I'll tell you now more than ever, people need experiences that are worth talking about. They need remarkable things. They need something they don't need to go to their phone and try to get entertained. They need to be able to get out. And so we're trying to do that. And that will result in a lot of failures. But the key as, uh, you know, Walt Disney's talked about, you know, we keep moving forward, opening yeah. new doors, yeah. doing new things. Because we're curious and curiosity keeps leading us down new paths. We are curious. We're going to constantly experiment. And I think that's uh, who we are and what we stand for. I love that. And I think that I share that with you. And uh, I call it childlike wonder. Really interested to find out new things, to try new things, to be creative. Uh, and, you know, from a business point of view, what better marketing research could you have than to actually do it, than to try it with actual clients, with actual customers, with actual fans? I mean, hundred percent. I've done I've done exit uh, exit interviews with uh, different things that I've run, and uh, people will tell you things you want to hear, and they make things up, and you can't get accurate feedback. But if they're there and they're participating or not, it's you know pretty much tells you what you need to know. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. It was funny, you know, you talk about just doing things. Uh, uh, Herb Kelleher, when he was interviewed by a reporter a few years into building Southwest Airlines, they said, you know, what's your business strategy moving forward? He said, it's called doing things. Yes. <laughs> and that's all he said. And he said, we do. We, we, we are faster because we're constantly doing. I mean, they could come into an airport and literally, uh, you know, set up all the gates in a day. They, when they, they had an opportunity, they would move fast. And I think there's too much analytics, too much studying, too much thinking. Start doing. And that's when you learn. You learn when you actually get in front of your people. You talk about Disney World and Disneyland. I mean, when, yeah. uh, they call it Black Sunday, July 17th, 1955. They opened up Disneyland. They set the date, except <laughs> all the rides, all the rides broke down. <laughs> the asphalt yeah, the was asphalt. still hot and sticky. Yes. Women's keels were getting stuck in it. Uh, the bathrooms were overflowing. People were breaking in. It was called Black Sunday by the employees. It was the worst day ever. But you know yeah. what? The next day got better. Yeah. And then the next day got better. And then the next day got better. The first time we decided to serve all you can eat to every single fan, which we're the only team in the country that does that. Every single ticket at our ballpark is all inclusive the first time we did it it was a disaster fans had to wait seven innings to get food we had no idea what we're doing but the next night got better the next night got better i think we're so afraid of doing things because of what people will think play the long game and walt disney did this amazon does this all the greatest companies play the long game and they're trying to figure out what can they do to create a better experience and if they don't figure out at first they're willing to keep trying and get through the messy a lot of people will give up when it gets messy. And yeah. I know when it gets messy, that's you're almost on a breakthrough of something amazing. Yeah, that's that's the truth for sure. And I think you you cover a lot of these in your is it five E's? Eliminate friction. Yeah, you do know my you do know my uh, Elim my content. Yes. Eliminate friction, entertain always, experiment always. Um, can't think of the last two offhand. Experiment but. constantly, engage deeply, and empower action. And if I you love do the five if you do the five E's, I believe you only, you won't only create fans, you can create fans for life. And I think that is what we all should be doing. I think we need to change the terminology. Let's stop talking about customers or yeah. patients or clients or vendors or partners, fans. 
There's a, when you talk about a fan of something right now, if I say, well, Russ, let's give, let's give an example. What, what's something or someone, maybe a business or someone you're a big, you're a fan of what, who, what comes to mind? Elon Musk. Elon Musk. And why? Elon Musk is brave enough to put himself out there and make stuff happen. How many people do you know that can create a brand new car company based on a brand new battery, put it on the nose cone of a rocket, blow three of them up before he even gets the fourth one to work, and then he gets you know a bazillion dollars from NASA. But he puts a sports car on the nose of his rocket, sends it into outer space. I think it's on the way to Mars now. I mean, <laughs> I mean that, and that's just a small portion of what he's been able to accomplish, and that is amazing to me. And so, as soon as you started talking about him. Yep. Your energy, your energy raised up. Yep. You had more passion. You were, you were fired up. You were excited. It was a different level. Yeah. And because in, in that, when you talk about, you know, who are you a customer of, you yes. know, uh, where do you go get your food? Where do you go do your shopping? You don't have that feeling. So I think a goal of every single brand, every person, every should try to be, to be able to have create feelings for people that they feel like they could be a fan of yours. Yeah. You know, fan started a lot from sports. And when you're a fan that you will put on the gear, you will get fired up. You will uh, change your day to be able to watch that team play. You will get so much energy, so much passion. And it's because of how they make you feel. Yes. And so I think a lot of brands don't focus on how do they make you feel like potentially a fan. And so that's why we're trying to change the language and say, all right, you know, who are you a fan of? How do you create fans? And the way to do that is you mentioned those five E's. You got to eliminate friction. You got to entertain them. You got to experiment and do new things on their behalf. You got to engage deeply and you got to empower action, empower the opportunity for them to be involved in your brand, not just be a spectator. Because no one wants to be a spectator these days. They want to be involved. They want to have ownership. They want to feel like they're a part of it. And so I believe when you do all those five, you don't only create a fan, you create a fan for life. And I think that should be the goal of every business and every brand. I, I, lo- I love the way you think about that. It's just, it's amazing. Um, it's unfortunate that many of the businesses and, and, and companies that we deal with, um, very often when we think of them, we think of them in negative ways. We think of the negative experiences we've had. We, th- we think of the, the phone call we made where the answering machine or the computer answers and they say, your call is very important to us. And then you don't actually get to talk to anybody or you have to navigate some ridiculous uh, uh, web of, uh, you know, a voicemail system or something. And, uh, you know, or you, or you go to get food somewhere and it's never made right or it's never made the same way. I mean, th- sometimes they're just simple things, you know? So well, you should, every, every company should do a friction audit. Boy, I, I agree. Know? Yeah. I mean, it just go through it. I mean, that's why we do undercover fan at our stadium and that's why every night someone yeah. on our staff whether it's me, we'll actually park with the fans, walk in with the fans, sit with the fans, eat with the fans. And we take notes the entire night. Not on only the things that went well, what are all the friction points? I mean, Walt Disney, I know we're staying the theme here. He said, no, that's okay. whenever, whenever I go on a ride, I'm always asking what's wrong with this thing and how can it be improved? And that was obviously with Disneyland before he passed before yes. Disney World. Was- yeah, sure. But he was asking that question. It sounds like a pessimistic or it sounds negative, but it's not no, because no. it shows continuous improvement. So I think, you know, whether you're a restaurant, whatever you're doing, like, where are the friction points? You know, everyone has them. I mean, how many times have you called, <laughs> have you called uh, someone or a business and the voicemail is listen closely as our menu options have changed. Yeah, it's like menu options, 
No one wants that. Or like dial one for this, dial six for this, dial seven for this. Because what those companies saw was yeah. we could save this much money if we had less people working yeah. and it could go through a process. They didn't think, is this best for our customer to create a fan? It's a different question. It's why, for instance, we're not always at the stadium. We can't answer our voicemails all the time, but we made our voicemail fun. So our voicemail, when someone calls, Savannah, na, 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 you've reached the Savannah, bananas, na, 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 please leave your message. It's from that Camilo Caballo song that we yeah, I love around it. with. And, and even our home <laughs> music, it's ring, 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 banana phone. People literally call us and say, can you put me on hold? I'm like, really? <laughs> yeah, I believe it. But there's all those friction points that I think every business, and even if you're an individual and you're, whether you're doing podcasts, you're a solopreneur, what are those friction points that people have to get to you? To, to How many points does it take for you to solve their problem or give them what they want? Amazon figured this out and they continue to. How can you as an individual figure that out? I think that's yeah. what battle. It's never done. You're never going to win it. You're never going to be the best, but each day you got to get better and better. You're very astute and uh, you really really see things that other people don't. I love I love the different examples that you use in your in your talks and even in your one minute boost. There's so much good information there. How do you generate the content for your one minute boost? So for those of you that don't know, you can find that uh, on social media. Jesse walks the track at the at the uh, stadium and and gives you some good info. Thank you. Uh, yeah, I've probably done 200 of those at that, that point. And uh, it's a good question. I've never been asked that question. I think if you want more good ideas, you have to open yourself up to more good ideas. And how yeah. do you do that? Uh, you know, I'm looking right now at about 300 books in front of me. Um, I'm constantly reading. I'm constantly trying to put myself in different uh, industries and in different businesses. I'm constantly watching, you know, if I can watch documentaries at night. Uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm obsessed with learning. And yeah. so when you're obsessed with learning, I think what I was so for, I talked to David Novak, spent a lot of time with him, who's the, who is the CEO of Yum Brands uh, for many years. And he wrote the book, Taking People With You, and, uh, uh, the recon- and one of the best recognition books there is. And uh, what he said, he said, Jesse, you know, you really are a parallel thinker. And I never thought about that before. He goes, what the key is, if you see things in another industry, you can create a parallel pretty quickly on how that can work in another industry or your industry. And I think how we are able to see the parallels from if I read something about Airbnb and I see, oh, that's an idea that I think could translate over here. So it's just, I have an Evernote where I keep track. And so like today I'll get a few ideas. I write every single morning. I write 10 ideas every single day. I write a thank you letter, as I mentioned every day. Yeah. So it's, it's a discipline for a creative person. Um, I'm not disciplined at all with most of my life, except in the mornings. I am very disciplined in the morning and I stay. So I'll record my one minute boost in the morning when I'm most creative. I'll write every morning. So uh, it's a good question. I think it's different for everyone. But I think if you want to have more ideas, um, <laughs> if you want to have more ideas, you have to work your idea muscle every single day. And you have to literally look for ideas and you have to force yourself. Like today, I didn't have a lot of ideas to write about this morning. So I forced myself into a subject. I was like, all right, I'm going to think about all banana food type items. And I, this is what I wrote this morning. What are the craziest banana food type items that we could potentially serve at our ballpark? And I forced myself. And the first three, four, five come very easy. But when you get to eight, nine, 10, it gets harder. And then tomorrow morning, I don't know what my ideas are going to be. And so it's that forced discipline that has really helped me see the creativity and things. Oh, that's great. Um, yeah, the podcast, you know, is going boldly and we are here for small business owners and aspiring entrepreneurs, and you give gold nuggets constantly. And even on the one minute boost, I think it's amazing. You know, a lot of content producers, um, 
sometimes their content they put out really is not all that valuable. And I, I haven't found anything of yours that I thought was just, oh, Jesse just put this out because he had to put something out there. It's it's like you make you make connections. You'll find all- some. Believe me, you'll find some. Rust. There's probably some out there. All right, I got to dig deeper. You know, well, well I, I will say that. I will say that. I Quantity leads to quality. Yeah. Quantity leads to quality. I think so many like we're afraid. I got to do the perfect uh, post, the perfect thing, whatever it is. I got to put the perfect product out, the perfect message, the perfect response. I go just you know, keep doing, you know, it's uh, I, one of the best you've, I know you've heard some of my talks, but yeah. you know, the, the player who has the most hits in major league history, Pete Rose, yeah, he has 14,000 at bats. He has, he has 2000 more at bats than anyone else that ever played the game. Amazing, of course, yeah. you're gonna have more hits. Like it's a no brainer. If you want to have more hits, keep coming to bat. And so there's <laughs> yeah. a reason I post there's a reason I post every day on LinkedIn. I post every day just because I want to just keep pushing myself to keep putting out there. And hopefully each at bat gets a little better and I have more chance at getting hits that really make an impact. And so we're so scared of what people think because we come at bat and I post something like just the other week. I, you know, there's no engagement. It was it didn't really add as much value. Yeah. But then I've got my next bat the next day. Yes, I think people put too much weight on some of the things they put out in the world. Just keep putting things out, keep putting things out, and then they'll gradually continue to get better. Well, I think that's humble of you to say that because I think that your content is right on. Um, so, uh, yeah, no, I know it sounds like I'm just blowing smoke, but I'm not. I really, uh, I mean it sincerely. Have you always been like this? Have you always had this sort of desire? Like wh- who was who was the Jesse at 22, at 21, at 20, at 19, at 12? All right, because you, you got your first job in baseball in Gastonia when you were 23 years old. Was that out of college? Were, were, did you not go to college? I mean, how did and, and baseball wasn't even your thing, right? <laughs> baseball, baseball was always my thing until I got into baseball. <laughs> oh, I see. So, so uh, yeah, you know, I mean, again, I think once anybody looks back, they can start connecting the dots a little bit. But well, what yeah, made I mean, you, I was, uh, Jesse? What 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 made you? What ha- what was it? Uh, my father. Yeah. Um, you know, I was a. Uh, I was an only child. My, my parents got divorced when I was eight years old. Um, my mother had a, had a serious drug problem and uh, some challenges. And so my father fought to get custody of me. Fortunately, he was able to win that custody battle. And my dad helped raise me from that point on. And um, I was a kid just trying to make my dad proud. And uh. Uh, now today that hasn't changed at all. I'm still, I still call my dad when something happens and I try to make him proud. And I think it was weird, you know, just having a, you know, one parent there for most of the time. And then my stepmother came along, which was wonderful, but just in the beginning, it was just my dad. But, yeah. um, you know, I, I realized when he was the happiest was often when I did something great at school or mm. did something great all field. And, you know, when I, when I did really well at school, he would surprise me. Uh, we had a PTO conference with the teacher, the, with the teacher, I'd have baseball cards in my uh, desk at school. And so it was always trying to make him proud. And so fighting for that love and affection and that drove me. And then fortunately he, he told me I was a kid, he goes, Jesse, you know, uh, you're going to have to get a, a college scholarship if you want to go play baseball and or be, you want to go to college. And so when I was fortunate that I got offers from Boston College and Northeastern and Wofford, I chose to go down south to Wofford because they offered a full ride and I wanted to you know, make my dad proud and try to follow that. So baseball was everything. And uh, I was a kid always seeking out attention. It's weird as an only child, you think you have attention, but I was still seeking out that attention. And uh, I think that's guided me a little bit. And now, you know, my favorite moment at every single game after a sold out night is, uh, you know, out with the fans 
at, in the plaza while our pep band's playing. There's a free s'mores station. All the fans are out there. The players are out there. Everyone's dancing. And I'm just lost in the moment seeing so many people having fun and saying, wow, I was able to help bring all these people together and feel the love and give the love. And uh, so that's that's literally what I, I still, you know, I still fight for. I still look for is to create more fans and and make my dad proud and, and feel love. And I think that's that's kind of the genesis of a lot of the things I do. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. And, and you know, a, a short story of my dad, you know, he's 72 years old now. And, uh, you know, he bought a baseball facility when I was a kid up in Massachusetts so I could play. He was so adamant on giving everything to me to provide. Wow. Uh, it was about... She's now almost seven or eight years ago, my dad had two forms of cancer and non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. He had one tumor the size of a pear outside of his liver oh, and it was very bad. And he had to, and I was actually down in Gastonia running our first team and he had to get treatment every day. And I always offered to come up, but they didn't want me to come up. He was in tough shape. And every single day I called my dad while he was in the hospital and I would say, dad, how are you? And every day he would say, Jess, I'm great. I'm great. How are you? What's going on in the baseball world? What's going on? And he goes, I'm great. I'm great. And I would talk to my stepmother. I'm like, well, he's like, she's like, he's okay. He's okay. He was so great. And then one day I remember I, I called him and my dad said, I go, dad, how are you? He goes, I'm good, Jess. I'm good. How are you? Tell me what's going on. And I found out later that that day, um, unimaginable sick. Uh, Diane wasn't even sure my stepmother, whether he was, it was bad. It was really, really bad. And he said he was good. The next day I called him, he said, Jess, I'm great. I'm great. And in nine months, he was able to battle, defeat the cancer. And the doctors at Beth Israel Hospital said he was the most positive patient they've ever had. And he single-handedly, positively willed the cancer out. His mindset was, this is going to be a, it'll be, you know, it won't be the best winter and spring, but the summer's going to be great. I'm going to have a great summer. And I learned that with my dad that we all get in our heads a lot on, oh, we had a challenging day. We had things that didn't go right. We had, we sweat the small stuff. We worry about things we can't control. And then I think about my dad and the cancer, uh, you know, battling the cancer and the struggles he went through and his positivity. I said, wow, people ask me the best advice I've ever received. I've got tons of advice, but it's actually just seeing how my dad handled that is always be positive. Don't sweat the small stuff. Don't worry about things you control and just be positive. And so that my dad has really made a huge impact on me. So I, I appreciate you uh, asking. Those personal, deeply felt moments can have such an impact on us. You know, and I've heard the saying before, don't sweat the small stuff, but it took me years and years to be able to get to the point where I actually feel like I'm there. Or, or I used to be so concerned about so many things, you know, so many details that were out of my control. A lot of times my expectations were so high for other people and other things that I was being disappointed quite a bit. Um, so, and, you know, and, they, and they don't matter. They don't like in the yeah. scheme of things, I've looked at the, the toughest moments, I'll, you know, and I never forget. I was going to play professional baseball. That was my goal. That was everything. You know, I was talking to professional teams. I was getting letters from the Mets and the Padres. It was really cool. I thought it was going to happen in college. And then I found out I had pain in my shoulder and I tore everything, both uh, my rotator cuff, my labrum. And I actually turned the camera on myself because I was filming a documentary and I watched that about a month ago. Oh. And I am, I am unbelievably emotional. And I'm just saying, I don't know. This has been my whole life. This has been it. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? And I, I even said it there, my dad always tells me to be positive, but I'm just struggling to find the positivity right now. And I look back on that. That was single-handedly the best thing that ever happened to me in regards to my professional career and what happened to me. Because of that injury, I got an, email, I got an internship, then excelled at that, then became a general manager, 
of a team. And I was able to really do what I was meant to do. And that was put on a show for people and bring fun and bring joy. It wasn't pitching on a mound. It wasn't playing baseball. It was being the one that brought that whole experience to, you know, as we now get up into the millions of people. And that's, so again, now looking back at that, I was like, wow. But if you look at any pain that you have and just Five years ago, my wife and I having to sell our house, empty out our savings account. Uh, we were sleeping on an airbed after only selling two tickets in Savannah in our first few months. That was tough. But in the scheme of things, it was like, I would do that again if I knew what happened because of it and because of the great success and the great um, purpose that we gave and, and that we were able to achieve from that. So I think anytime you go through even the littlest things or the biggest things, look at that and be, feel blessed. Be like, we're going through this and it's going to make everything else after feel so amazing because we had to go through this. And I think that's how I try to take that, that mindset. And I'm wearing a band right now. I mean, that says optimism. And you know that was my word last year for 2020, which was needed, but I haven't taken <laughs> I haven't taken it off, but I'm keeping it on because it's still, I want to stay that way. And I, I believe in it. That's amazing. Um, wow. Uh, I have a, a personal story that, uh, that was impactful, super impactful on me. And I think that you're going to identify with this. Yeah. I'd love to hear. Um, so here's this, here, here it is. And this is all true. I was uh, expecting, or my wife and I were expecting our second child and we were at the hospital and this second child is actually Brenna. That's me. Uh, I didn't. In, I didn't introduce <laughs> Brenna, but she's always in the lurking in the background. Um, and uh, Brenna's twenty three now. But okay. anyway, so we're at the hospital. My wife is due. This is our second child. The first, the first birth was agonizingly brutal, and uh, the second one seemed to be going a little smoother. And we were in there late one night at the delivery room. And the nurse was there, and she was uh, she was an older woman. She actually had retired from nursing, and they called her back. I think just well, I don't know, maybe that one day or week or whatever. But we were lucky to have her there. As it turned out, she was super experienced. So where the three of us are in there, and we're just sort of talking, and she's rolling my wife back and forth in the bed, and she'd go around to one side, and she'd roll her over, and then she'd go around to the other side, and she rolled her back. And she'd go to the other side and roll her again. And I had I was oblivious to what was going on. And and my wife started to complain, like, this is really hurts, this is really uncomfortable, you know, why are you doing this? And she says, It's for the baby. And I just got goosebumps telling you. Um it's I heard her say it's for the baby. And then all of a sudden I was in reality and I started looking around. And I saw some of the machinery that was hooked up, and the number on there was, I believe it was the heart rate of the baby, and it was going down and going down and going down and going down. And in that moment, I felt all the blood rush out of my face, out of my head, and I said to myself, this is the moment that could possibly change your entire life, and maybe not for the better. Mm. and I realized what was going on, and just at that moment, she slammed her f- hand on a big red button on the wall, and the room filled with people. Priority and they, one. And they started prepping my wife for emergency C-section. And I don't think she still knew what was going on, but I did. And what seemed like an eternity <laughs> at that point, time just ceased to function. And then all of a sudden, everyone went, oh, and the numbers went boom, right back up. And everyone, oh, okay, all right, and no problem. Mm. And they all started laughing because the last person in the room was the anesthesiologist. 
And they said, oh, you're our lucky, you're the lucky, you know, you're our lucky person that made this all better, blah, blah, blah. And the room emptied out. And I was standing there with the nurse and the anesthesiologist and my wife. And it's like, what just happened? And they tell me, and they tell me that they think probably the umbilical cord was wrapped around the baby's neck mm. and it was cutting off the circulation to the head, to the brain. And apparently that was the heart rate that I was watching go lower and lower and lower. I was just being dramatic on the way out. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, you're trying to make trying to make an entrance, I'm I sure. Was. But, uh, so <laughs> aside aside from her being an artist and a creative, there's really nothing wrong with her. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that geez. we know well, of I'll yet. But I know one of your stories, and I thought that you might um, appreciate oh. the. Well, the you, you know that. Because you that know, you know the feeling. You know, you know what uh, I was going through, right? Oh, that hits home. I mean, more than that. Yeah, our, our son went down uh, under forty, and it was a priority one. And they wheeled my wife out, and they had to get our son out within ten minutes. And I was left alone, and yeah. uh, and the nurse ran in and threw me scrubs and said, "Run!" And I had to run into the operating room, and then I then I finally heard our son cry, and I get emotional thinking about it. As I uh, didn't even know if we were gonna have a boy or girl. Yeah. And, uh, so. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've, I've been there as well. And I think, uh, but it's those moments that, you know, you, I always, I used to always ask on my podcast back in the day, I used to always ask, give me a magical moment from your life. And mm-hmm. um, always family oriented. Yes. And I think one says about magical moments being family oriented. Um, why don't we schedule more time in our calendars? Why don't we talk more about family stuff? Why is it? Why? Why are we all so uh, obsessed with business and judging that for success? So it was it was an observation for me because those are the moments that matter most. And I think uh, we need yeah. to harp on those. We had an opportunity to do that more this 2020 year than ever, and hopefully that can continue to an extent. Yeah, I agree. Uh, someone asked me the other day. Um, it was actually a coach. Uh, business coach, personal coach, and she asked me what stood out as the most significant achievement in my life, and my answer was was simple and 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 came out fast, and it was being a dad. Yeah. I mean, that's like the one thing that I've done that I'm the most proud of, that I feel like is the most um, uh, personal. I have the most satisfaction, and I feel like I've I did the best job of anything of anything I've ever attempted. Uh, was being a, a dad, and I did a lot in advance to be good at it. But I certainly didn't get did a, get a degree ahead of time in you know being a dad and parental. Well, it sounds like you've done a pretty good job. Well, people can t- confirm. <laughs> people, <laughs> when my daughters were younger, people would come up to us, other parents, and say, "Man, you you know you guys are doing a really good job with your kids. You're really you got some good kids there." I mean, no one's come up and told me otherwise, and I was surprised. I was surprised that anyone even even commented on it, to be honest. Uh, all right, some personal stuff. We have some questions for you. Um, before we get to that, I just wanted to say how much I appreciate you being here on our podcast. And I didn't want to ask you all the same questions that people have asked you before. I mean, you've got so much content out there. They can find a lot of that stuff. I wanted to really kind of get to know you a little better. And But now it's time for the questions. It's time to answer the questions. I double dare you. All right, it is time for the questions right now, and Brenna is going to take it away with the questions. I'm in charge of the questions today. Jesse, here we go. Are you ready? Bring it. <laughs> um, okay, I don't know if this, is, this can be fact-checked, but we have written here in an interview you've said before, do for one fan what you'd like to do for every fan. 
Now, I, I relate to that as a performer, and um, everything you've said so far today in the podcast has been um, very cool to hear. I I like your take on on making the entertainment for your fans uh, and thinking about how they can be involved rather than spectators, and I really, I really admire that point of view. So our question here is, is there a specific fan you'd like to shout out or maybe a special fan moment that has stood out for you um, among your years of doing this? Oh, jeez. <laughs> yes. Uh, I mean, it, tough to shout out one fan. It's, you know, really our people who create those moments. I mean, there's so many little ones from, you know, during COVID, one of our fans saying on social media, um, you know, whoa, what I would do for Oreo cookies and milk right now. And then our ticket experience coordinator driving to the grocery store, getting Oreo cookies and milk, putting it in the mailbox of that member and sending them a message, check your mailbox. I mean, little things <laughs> like that. Um, have gone a long way, but you know, it's, it's, it's the simple moments. It's, you know, for instance, walking, uh, walking along the gate last season and I saw uh, a player, uh, two kids come up to one of our players and say, Hey, can I have your autograph? And the player get down to his knee and say, only if I can have yours. <laughs> and oh, that's literally, awesome. literally watching the kids sign his hat. And then over the rest of the season, watching the rest of the team get autographs all over their sleeves and their hats of these little kids. They made them feel like heroes. And I've learned from that. I mean, literally the other day, um, a mother who leukemia hasn't been able to leave the house, got two young kids teaching them at home, two five-year-olds. They're big bananas fans, but they haven't been able to come to games over the past year. And the mother sent me a message and said, you know, uh, would you be willing to speak to the kids on Zoom? And so instead of writing back, yes, I went up to the stadium and I said, uh, I created a video and I said, you know, Taylor Anna Weston. Uh, hey, I know you guys are big bananas fans. We missed you this past season, but you know, we got a spot here waiting for you. I had a question. Would you be open if I spent some time with you next week on a Zoom call and we just talked about the bananas and talked about you guys? And so I turned it as a question to them. She sent it to the, the, the mother sent it to the kids. The kids went wild, sent a picture. Then I went to our merch director and had our merch director send uh, shirts and sign, uh, signed gear to them to receive before I spoke to them that day. And again, it's just little things, but I learned that from watching a player instead of asking, you know, ask them, you know, can you be a part of this? And I think we look for all those moments. And, you know, the, to answer your question, the question that we, or the story that we share often, and we do a lot with our actual teammates in the stadium, but one that happened with the fan is an emotional story that um, I can quickly share if you'd like me to. Absolutely. All right. It was with, uh, it was, so every fan that, that buys a ticket from us, we call and we thank. If they buy a ticket, if they buy merch item, uh, we call and thank. We think that's the way to start a relationship. And so um, when you start with us as an intern, you know that's fans first. So everyone is a part of it, myself, our interns. And so one fan had bought uh, eight tickets and Barry, our 22-year-old intern, called that fan and they didn't answer. And But he, was, he wanted to call back. So he called back two days later to make sure, you know, their eight tickets, they were all set. And the father answered the phone and the father said, uh, um, thank you for the call, but you know, uh, we're not going to be able to come to this game. My wife actually bought these, these tickets for our seven kids and my wife just tragically died. And Barry, as a 22-year-old intern, said, I'm so sorry. You know, uh, if there's anything we do, and, and the, the gentleman said, no, we appreciate it. Yeah, we're just not going to be able to make it. So Barry comes in my office and says, Jesse, what do we do? 
and I've learned from a great mentor, my uh, the first owner of the Gastonia baseball team, he would always ask me, Jesse, what do you think? What do you think? And so I turned to Barry and I said, what do you think? And he goes, well, you know, I'd like to try to get him out and create an experience for them. I think we could do something really special. I go, I support you 1000%, whatever you want to do. He goes, anything? I go, do whatever you need to do. This is, this is something that needs to happen. So he called back the, the, the father and the father answered and he said, Barry said, you know, we'd really love to have you guys out and try to give a special experience for the kids. And the father said, you know what, it'd probably be good to get the kids out of the house. Uh, yeah, we'll come. And Barry said, all right, well, here, here's my cell phone. Um, I'll meet you at the gate when you come and we'll take care of you. So they showed up, the seven kids, the father, Barry brought them to the front row. We saved, he saved eight seats in the front row. As soon as they sat down, Barry brought up all the players in the bananas and brought them to sit right next to them. And they started signing balls, signing bats for the kids. And they hung out for like 30 minutes before the game. It was amazing. I remember watching it vividly, like, wow, this is special. The kids were laughing, having so much fun. They, they, were, they, were, they were friends with the bananas. And then Barry presented the, the father with a jersey with um, his wife's name on it and the amount of years that they were married. Oh, and so man. The, wow. And so, so the family stayed for the entire game which never happens in a baseball game because we talked about baseball's long, slow and bar. The, yeah. the, the family stayed for the entire game. And at the end, the father went to Barry and said, that was the last gift the mother ever gave the kids. I couldn't imagine a better gift. Wow. That is really, jeez, oh, I got goosebumps. <laughs> <laughs> Woo. How do you, how do you not cry? Uh, you know, some of these things that happen, I mean, they're so uh, personal, so intense, so emotional, so, profound. Well, I, I appreciate that, but I'm so fortunate of our team to, to think about that. I mean, we say nothing matters more than making people feel like they matter. And yeah. so every yeah. day, how can we do that? And so, you know, and, and we share these stories, you know, I mean, last year, I mean, literally last, uh, the second game of the year, a gentleman comes up to me with his wife and his three kids. And he goes, thank you guys so much. This was so much fun. I go, oh, thanks, man. I appreciate it. He goes, yeah, we just drove 40 hours from Utah for this game. We're driving 40 hours back tomorrow. Who does that? Like, Who does that? And he goes, like, you're crazy. And he's like, he's like, no, it was everything we hoped it would be. Thank you so much. We've got such great memories. We're going to have so much fun talking about everything on the way back. I'm like, I want to drive 40 minutes for something, let alone 40 hours. <laughs> But, you know, we share that because we have a responsibility. Yeah. And then the last, the last game of the year, a season ticket holder comes up to me and, uh, you know, he says, thank you, Jesse. And I go, I go, thank you. He goes, no, you guys, you guys saved my life. And I'm like, oh, well, what, what do you, what do you, he goes, you know, during COVID, March, April, May, I was in a really dark place, a really dark place. And then I saw you guys announce that you're going to play and you're going to find a way to play. And I had something to look forward to. And I came up that first night and we all sang and we danced and I was able to escape in the fun and have family together, the Bananas family, to look forward to. He goes, you guys saved my life. And those stories is who we are. It's That's what crazy. we stand for, what we're made of. And so there's lots of fun moments. We do lots of crazy fun things, but it's those deep ones that give bigger meaning to the fact that, you know, yes, we give, we've given away colon cleansings at our games. We have port jobs we, we play in kilts. You know, we have our players take their jerseys off and act as ring girls in the ninth inning. We do so many wild things, but it's those deeper stories, stories that really keep us going and understanding that through all the work, through all the effort, it's worth it for one fan at a time. And we say every game is someone's first game. And so for you and whether it's entertainment right now, whatever you're doing, it's every game is someone's first game every day. Every time is someone's first interaction with you, with your brand, with what you're doing. How do you make them feel? And that's what we're constantly asking. That's, that's, 
I, I don't even know how to respond. <laughs> <laughs> kind of takes your that's breath amazing. away some of these stories, right? Actually, that's something you always spoke about, performing on the stage. People in the audience, um, you treat them like it's their first show or their only show or whatever. So even though you've done it, I don't know, 100 times, yeah. you know, it's a first time for people in the audience and it's something special for them. Right. If I can, yeah. if, if, if one person can can take away something from the evening then I will have considered my job done. Excellent. I mean, what if someone drove 40 hours to see your performance? Wouldn't you treat it differently? And, and like, <laughs> right? Take them out to dinner. <laughs> I, but I mean, that's, that's the way we think. And, and I think that's, that goes back to our early conversation, Russ, is yeah. when you look at people as potential fans, yeah. if someone comes up to you and says, I'm your biggest fan, or they do actions that show that they're biggest fan, drive 40 hours, would you treat them differently? And unfortunately, the answer is yes. Unless you look at every single person as that raving fan, that fan yeah. that loves you, would you give them the extra time? Would you ask them more questions about themselves? Would you actually show that you care more? And I think that's the difference between looking at people as customers or guests or attendees. Look at them as fans. Great and point. that's, what, that's yeah. what we try to teach. Super. Hey, yeah. Brenna, do you have another question? I do. What? Yeah, that, that's a lo- that's the longest and most in depth answer we've ever had to a question. I know, but that's great. Like, I feel like I feel like that that is the question. Okay, <laughs> but I do have two more. So, sure. next question here: If you could have a conversation with a famous person, dead or alive, who would it be, and what would you maybe ask them? I would play catch with Walt Disney on Main Street in Disney World, and I would ask him. What's next? Oh, I love it. Oh, that's a good one. I knew it was going to be Disney. <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. not the answer I expected, though, to play catch with him that, on Main Street. and uh, that's it's a like, nice touch. Yes. Brings it home. Yeah. Perfect. You know, you know a, a, a quick aside, and I do a lot of those. Yeah, um, yeah. I took, I took theater in college. I was actually a part of... Um, uh, when I found out, oh, okay. When I found out... It's when a, I found a, out... I, <laughs> it, it, a lot, I'm sorry. Now, a lot okay. of it's making sense now. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you, I didn't until I was a senior and I found out that I tore my shoulder and I could ever play again. So yeah. I, I said, uh, I don't know, let's try theater. And I had an amazing teacher, Carrie Ferguson, and I was the only jock. I mean, I was 220 pounds, big guy back then, you know, in this theater world. No one else was a jock, an athlete. It was, it was a different world. And I had trouble learning my lines. And, you know, you know, memorizing and learning. And it's funny now as a professional speaker, you know, I'm pretty good at my lines, but back then I was terrible. And so she said, she said, Jesse, um, meet me in the theater at, uh, at five o'clock, uh, bring your glove. And so I brought my glove and she had her glove. She played softball and we started playing catch. And she said, all right, let's go through your lines. And we played catch for almost an hour. And by the end, I had all my lines done because I was doing something that I was so comfortable doing. I wasn't thinking, so focusing on my lines. I was able to actually just relax and have fun and play. And a lot of times when we're in a state of play, we actually perform better. And we've proven that with our team where we've won more games and had more fun and, and because of the atmosphere. But it, my word this year is play. So I would say, you know, instead of just walking with Walt Disney, how could we play? Yeah. And I think that was a richer conversation. Love it. Wow. Very nice. I told you it was full of good stuff. <laughs> All right. Okay. This you have another I, one? I do. This is okay. the, this is our um, our our final question. Okay. What is one thing you love about your favorite person in the world and why? Now you're going to make me choose between my wife and my son and my dad. It <laughs> 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 inevitably goes back to family, uh, to tell you the truth. So with this um, question. 
Oh, jeez. Um, yeah, you don't have to. No, be, it, you don't, it, it could be family in general. We don't want to make anybody feel bad. No, it's really hard. And, you know, now, yeah. uh, you know, now we're actually foster parents. So we just had a new, beautiful, sweet, amazing two-year-old uh, come to our home about a month ago. And so, you know, I, I think about things I love about her already. And so, um, you know, I think when asking that question, I always try to think the question behind the question. And I often think when you think about anybody, what's that first face that you think of when they're, do you see them laughing? Do you see them smiling? Do you, what, what kind of, what do you see from them? And when I look at my, starting with my two-year-old son, my two and a half-year-old son, my Maverick, he is the happiest, like hearty laugh, falling over laughter I've ever seen. And then just will immediately come over and become empathetic. Daddy, are you okay? Or, eh, how is everything? And he just asks questions. And he, so he's laughing empathetic. My wife, you got that from my wife. So I'm going this whole thing. And it really doesn't, doesn't matter in the scheme of things. But I just think um, my dad, it's, it's his unbelievable positivity. Um, my wife, it's the ability to care for people so much more than she cares for herself and will do anything to sacrifice herself. And it's amazing. And my son, his, his laughter, his empathy towards others. And I think uh, you combine all that. I'm, I'm a pretty, pretty lucky guy. Oh my gosh. Well, that was a perfect, uh, the perfect answer. Actually, we are so lucky and blessed to have Jesse with us on our podcast today. You're going to hear more and more of Jesse. And, uh, I, I may not realize how big he is already. I mean, I, I think I'm lucky to have him on the podcast and maybe I'm more lucky than I realize. but, um, you're everybody, everybody in the country is going to know Jesse. And very soon, if they don't already, this is is an amazing guy. I encourage you, listeners, to absorb everything he has to say. Um, get his book, find your yellow tux, listen to his one minute boosts, have him into your organization to talk if you're um, uh, so inclined, and and have a budget. Uh, so Jesse, before we before we close out, is there anything else you wanted to add? No, I I, I want to applaud you and Brenna, and I, I oh, think uh, this was truly refreshing. And I think uh, uh, what you guys were able to do is to go different ways and to be real. And I think there's a huge value to that. I think one of the biggest things we need today is human connection. And, yeah. uh, you know, I always talk about the fun and the joy and all the crazy things we do. And I love that. It fires me up. But the human connection is, is really important. And we have a, uh, a fans first playbook. The name of our company is Fans First Entertainment. And we have a fans first playbook that we share with our team. And on the back, it says, be patient. And what you want for yourself, but be impatient in how much you give to others. And I, I think you, you guys have given so much today to me and you're giving so much to the world. So thank you uh, for having me on today. Oh th yeah. You're very, very welcome. And thank you. How can people get in touch with you? Maybe the 1-800 number to buy a ticket uh, because maybe somebody else wants to drive 40 hours. <laughs> I'm very easy to find yellow tux. If you search yellow tux, you'll find me yellow tux, Jesse. I'm everywhere. Um, and the Savannah bananas are easy to find. And we have right at our fan services. We have my cell phone number. Uh, we've given it on our podcast and I'll throw it here. 781-424-2499. Um, if I can help in any way, I'm here. All right. Thanks a lot. Well, everybody, uh, lots of good stuff today. Uh, gosh, so much to unpack. I just encourage you to find out as much as you can about Jesse and listen to what he has to say. And then here's the important part, apply it to your own life or your own business. And uh, thanks again, Jesse. Thanks, Brenna. This is Russ, the big guy. This has been going boldly and we are out. That concludes another episode of going boldly. 
I hope you were entertained and you discovered at least one nugget of wisdom or advice that you could put into action immediately. Or maybe you received some inspiration from today's episode. And I'm certain you know at least one person who needs this podcast. Please share it with them. You might be the important link that will change their life for the better. Subscribing means you will not miss an episode. And it will make it easier for me to schedule guests because I can show them that the audience is growing. So please subscribe. It will benefit us all. Let me know how I can make this show even better. Leave a comment and send me a DM. I read everyone personally, and I do my best to respond to each and every one. As a thank you, I'll be awarding prizes. And to keep you on your toes, the winners will be randomly selected from names I find in the comments, shares, DMs, and from the list of subscribers. Prizes might be Going Boldly merch or products supplied by my guests, or just something random and fun. But you have to comment, share, DM, or subscribe to be eligible to win. A special thanks to Brenna Swanger at Waverly Manor Studios for our great theme music. And finally, thanks for listening. Go boldly, keep at it, and wash your hands.